This is the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast, Memorial Day Special. Another special. I know, I said it the last podcast, but it's just so, I don't know, we're doing podcasts like every other day, it seems like now, so like nothing is like our traditional, so I, I gotta stop calling stuff special, because maybe this is what we do. Special edition. Every day. So we got Ryan Collin, yo host. Bob Collin, yo, 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 what up for show? What up for show? So... Yep, this is really all around the holiday and what it truly means and the fallen soldiers uh, and heroes that have have passed for us to have this freedom to talk on this podcast. That's what it's all about. It's not National Hot Dog and Burger Day. As much as I love (laughs) me some hot dogs and burgers, that's not what it's about. But that's what this episode's really all about. Um, We're going to, you know, talk some stuff about the holiday. Bob's going to tell some stories. Good, bad, the ugly. Um... And so we're not going to really talk anything outdoors. We've we've done that. Um, we've been doing that for a while, and we'll have plenty of that content to come. But we want to take a break from it. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to take a little tactical pause here. Little, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> take a little tactical pause here on the uh, on the outdoor stuff. We're still doing the outdoor stuff. Don't don't get me wrong. And we're actually going musky fishing tomorrow. Um, yeah, we yeah we beat up pike fishing to death. You know, truth. And, yeah. So, um, but yeah, this is the uh, Memorial Day holiday. So uh, we want to kind of take a break, talk a little bit about uh, Memorial Day itself, what it means. I think too often we, uh, we get kind of wrapped up and like, we're going to have a barbecue and, you know, (laughs) drink some beers and grill some hot dogs and hamburgers and stuff. But we don't really take a minute to think about like, what does this holiday actually mean? It's like that when you relate it to the other holidays out there, like 4th of July, uh, you know, Veterans Day or, or any of these other days, like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, the banks are closed that day and grocery store closes a little bit early, but what does it actually mean? Uh, and again, not, not necessarily. A lot of people get pissed that, oh my God, why are the banks closed on, on Memorial Day? Well, those, those are the same assholes that, you know, that are assholes. You know, crying about their latte being cold. You know, <laughs> at Star Starbucks Tastic or whatever. Oh my, God, my latte's just not quite cold enough. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, but this is a you know Memorial Day is a holiday that is meant to remember the fallen. You know, the the fallen soldiers, on uh, service members that have, um, you know that have given their lives in defense of the country, you know, in, in preservation of the American way of life. That's pretty much, you know, sums it up. Um, you know, and it's a day to kind of reflect, um, you know, that, and that doesn't mean that you can't have your hot dogs or your hamburgers or your, or your cold ice pops and those kind of right. things. You well, know, you're, you're celebrating, I guess, the, the soldier in this scenario, the soldiers that die, we're not going to sit around and, and mourn because you don't, wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, we're going to take that time and we're going to remember them and, you know, we're going to celebrate their sacrifice so we can have these freedoms of having a barbecue. Right. You're, you're celebrating their lives. You think they're having a, you know, a barbecue in Ukraine right exactly. now? Exactly. <laughs> What's that? You think they're having a barbecue in Ukraine right now? I'm sure somebody is, man. Well, that's that's I, I was, true. I was in Iraq that's true. barbecuing, <laughs> eating some, some of that local food. 
but yeah, uh that dog and goat and whatever <laughs> they'll eat anything but i mean it was good i ate it you know it's better than mre i'll tell you that you know go to your chinese restaurant all taste the same right <laughs> oh man as long as it doesn't meow when you take a bite out of it you know it's cool. that's that's fair so so yeah so let's get into why what memorial day is obviously it's it's all about remembering the soldiers that have died it's not necessarily there's veterans day which you're just honoring all veterans right um past present future so um, on that on that real quick so you know i i get this i get it a lot i get it on social media and stuff like that and like i might post you know i might post something in remembrance of you know some of my buddies that were killed in combat or something like that and i'll get a lot of thank you for your service stuff to, it's and i want to say this that it's totally appropriate to thank people for their service on memorial day it's totally fine all right but and I'm not one of those snobs. Some of those people are out there. Are some of those, some of those veterans out there? There's some of those people out there that are like it's not Veterans Day, it's Memorial Day. Like, you know, but that that's not what the, it's not about me. It's about them. It's about remembering them. Yep. All right. We're gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna tell some stories today and things like that. I'm gonna talk a little bit about my military service, but that's really um, just so I can put into context some of these guys that I want to talk about. Um. So I, I just want that to kind of a Kind of disclaimer out there. Totally appropriate to thank a veteran on, on Memorial Day, but just yeah. remember that, that that's not what the day is designed for. Yeah. The day the day is designed to remember those who had fallen in combat and things like that. You should thank a veteran every day, whether no matter what day it is, right? Like it's, if it's, you see somebody and it's made, it's it's I guess it's made known to you that they're a veteran. I mean, you don't need to thank the same veteran every day. I'm sure you get annoyed as hell with that. Oh man! But if somebody meets you, I'm not, and not annoyed. A, not annoyed. But I get, I do get it a lot. I get it because I'm in the population every day. So I, I'm getting, you know, you don't see a uniform every day. So when you do, I do right. get a lot of people that come up to me and thank me. But I mean the service. same person saying it over and over. Like <laughs> Some of them are the same. And, but, <laughs> but hey, that's cool. At least it, they're taking that that time because there's a lot of assholes out there who, who don't do it. Well, it, it's, it's such an awkward, it's kind of an awkward thing. It's kind of an awkward exchange because yeah. when somebody comes up to me and they thank me for, you know, like, thank you for your service or something like that. It's, I, I don't really know how to respond to it. I, at least at first I didn't, I, I'm kind of oh, used to it now. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> like, well, the, the natural response to somebody thanking you for something is to say, you're welcome. But to me feels very arrogant for me right. to say, you're welcome for my right. service, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, what I say is, is, I appreciate your support, right? I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. Almost like you got to thank I, them back. Right, right. So I'm thanking somebody for thanking <laughs> me, but at the same time, like, I just feel way too arrogant to say you're welcome. Right. Like, it just seems rude to me, but yeah. um, I'm sure it, not it is something that guys are like that, though. Some military guys are like, yeah, you're welcome. Bro. Yeah, you better thank me. No, <laughs> no, for the most part, yeah, most part, good. like most military, you know, or veterans or active duty military and things like that, or even you know, guard or reserve. They, they kind of just, they don't want to be recognized right. for that they stuff. None of us joined yeah. for that. I didn't join for, right. you know, for anybody to thank me or for, right. or to be in the law, in the light of anything. Right. You know, you kind of just want to blend in, yeah, <laughs> you know, you just want to be a civilian as they, they say, you, you want to yeah. be, yeah, you want to be as civilian as possible when you're yeah. around civilians. So yeah. Yeah, that's kind of tough to do. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. kind of stick out. <laughs> but so, anyway. so yeah, it's about honoring all the soldiers that died in, in combat really um or or from causes from combat that's that's a whole idea yeah so, in, in support of you know contingency operations right, and whatever right whatever so it's war, not just wars it's you know because there's lots of operations that you don't hear about right 
there's a lot of stuff in it. Yeah, even to this day, like right now, that are happening as we do this podcast, probably. There's some some terrorist is getting a, a warhead on the forehead right yep. this second. So it's it's happening all yep. over the world all the time. Yeet, so. yeet, <laughs> yeet. So, all right. So the holiday started uh, back in the 1800s, and it was really around the Civil War to honor the soldiers that, that sacrificed for the, that war that obviously needed to happen back then, right? So um, 620,000 soldiers died in the Civil War. It's insane. 620,000. That is the size of our active duty military right now. Yeah, it's nuts. Give or take. Just to think about it. So um, 1866 was the exact year that it started, and it started in a little town called Waterloo, New York. 68, wasn't it? No, it was 66. Well, so I'll get there. Okay. okay. I'll get there. All right. I'll feed you, baby bird. Don't worry about it. Okay, okay. 1866, it started in a little town of Waterloo, New York. Um, They started just remembering... Soldiers from the north, things of that nature that that passed. From yeah, there. it was more prevalent in the north before. Yeah. What, and the, then the in, south was doing their own thing, but they were doing their own thing. And then, but the so the yeah. it's known that Waterloo is the birthplace of Memorial Day. Right, right. It, it may have been happening, in other words, but that's where it's actually recognized by the country and and that that it was at Waterloo, New York. So in '68 is when it actually became they called it Declaration Day. Declaration Day. De- De- Words are hard right now. A couple pops in. Decoration Day in 1868. It was so they did a big ceremony at Arlington Cemetery with um, Ulysses S. Grant. Um, um, did everything. Um, that's really when it. I guess it started on a nation level uh, of celebrating at, of Decoration Day. Yeah. So um, it was May 30th of 1868, and so it was always May 30th. For a particular reason, before it switched to Mondays, now it's the last Monday in May. Always that was changed um, back in 1968 when it was actually made a national holiday by Congress. But back then it was May 30th for a particular reason, um, and that was because as of that time, back in 1868, there were no battles that were ever fought on May 30th. At least that were recorded. Really? Yeah. So there was no. That's why they picked that particular day because you know of all the battles that happened and even small battles that happened over the course of the Civil War, no battles happened on that day. So that makes sense because you wouldn't want to like every individual battle is commemorated on that day that it either started or ended. So like you know Gettysburg or um, which was in July of. 63 and then yeah. you have you know like june 6 1944 the, you yeah. know d-day so they commemorate on that day so yeah it would make sense that you would want to put that on a day yep. that is not being commemorated in some other way yep you know so in in 1968 so on the 100 year um, anniversary of it really becoming decoration day um congress signed the uniform monday holiday act which uh changed it to the last monday in may so just some fun facts about that. And then, so the national moment of actual remembrance is 3 p.m. on Memorial Day. So that's when you're actually supposed to, you know, have a moment of silence. And actually, that's the actual to-the-minute time you're supposed to do it. So, And then in a, just kind of another fun fact that I, I found was flags on that particular day, they, um, they begin at half mass. Then they're raised to full at noon before they're lowered in the evening. There's actually a ton of flag etiquette out there that people don't really know, no right? Idea. Like, how does a how does a you know how does a flag go to half mass? 
right? Yeah. It has to go to the top before it can come back down and stuff like that. You know, or yeah. what do you do with an old flag? Yeah. There's websites and stuff out there that can that'll tell you all that kind of stuff, but yeah. it's stuff that I follow like pretty closely. Like I, you know, like when the flag can never touch the ground, things like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. very cool. Yep. So. So again, it's all around the soldiers that have have died. So I'm going to throw some numbers out there um, that are just mind-boggling. So, so these are soldiers that have died in wars. So Civil War, obviously, we talked about 620,000 ridiculous numbers. And then going down the list, the main wars: World War One, 116,000, which is just ridiculous for that time back in what 1914, like yeah. <laughs> World War Two, four hundred and five thousand. That's yeah, crazy. That yeah, just... and that again, this is just American side. This isn't anything else. This isn't the Holocaust. This isn't the other, um, uh, the other countries that that were involved in it. This is just the Americans that died in all the battles, whether it's the battle in the Pacific, South Africa, Europe, um, all over the world. I think, so, the, I think the Russians had the highest casualty count. Yeah, they were in the millions. In the millions. Yeah, it's yeah. insane. Yep. So then you get into the Korean War, which this is a new one that I never knew much about. No idea why. I guess I didn't think it was as big as it was. Then I started watching some documentaries. You were telling me about it. Was it yeah. uh, Chosen yeah, Chosen One or something? Or Chosen yeah. Chosen Reservoir? Yeah, Frozen Chosen. Frozen Chosen. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, and I So I got hooked, and I started watching tons of documentaries, and that was a mess up war. That Insane, was yeah. it, it was uh, how they haven't talked about it more. How a, a big movie hasn't been made. People don't understand that we fought the Chinese in that war. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we fought China literally. Yeah. Like, I mean, literally, it was and, and it was it, China that we fought because we we kind of whooped North Korea's ass quick and yeah. pushed them back so quick, and then all of a sudden China got involved. China and got it's involved like, and then pushed the, <laughs> and pushed them us. everybody yeah. back to Seoul, and yeah. then it was kind of and then the stalemate became in the in the DMZ. Yeah. So yeah, and then so so that number is thirty six thousand. 36,000 yeah. people died in that war. And how was it not talked about? How was it just... That's a, that's a travesty. It really is. It is yeah. that it doesn't get more... Yeah, I guarantee um, if you pulled, you know... Recognition. A couple yeah. hundred people, like, they would not be able to tell you any facts about that. Unless they were like me and watch a documentary. Like, it just... It's uh-huh. not as well known as Vietnam, World War II. How um, many people could point Korea out on a map? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah. It's... Yeah, just mind boggling. So, so thirty six thousand died in, in Korea, um, and, and really the most treacherous way. And, and that's you know, the freezing ass cold. If you haven't watched documentaries on it, the the Frozen Chosen is uh, it's it's like a I don't even think it's a series. It's like a two hour movie. I think I don't even. It's a straight up. It's just a documentary movie. Um, and, and I'm telling you, go watch it. There's some yeah. really good books out there too on yeah. the Korean War that will kind of yeah. you know raise an eyebrow like wow. Yeah. I met. I had a chance to meet a bunch of Korean War veterans. I was doing a. I was training uh, West Point cadets up at West Point, New York, and I got presented a coin. I was the primary instructor for. I don't know. It was like the M two hundred three grenade launcher range or something like that. And um, I was the NCIC for it. They so they uh, they presented me a coin. I still have the coin on my desk at work, and it's like I think the fiftieth anniversary or something of the Korean War. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago. So, yeah, it was like yeah. the 50th anniversary coin or something, and they presented it to me in front of everybody. And that was like, I didn't know Did shit know? about the Korean War yeah. up to that point. You know, they were some super awesome guys, super cool guys. Yeah. But, yeah. Do do some research, though. If you're into, I guess, understanding the wars and the histories, history of the military, like, I highly recommend 
getting into because it was a messed up war. Yeah. Um, so then the, really the next major conflict was Vietnam. Also yeah. a messed up war. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just... we went from World War II and then what we had about a 20 year break, not even 20 year break, what, 15 year break, maybe. Yeah. 15. And then 65. into Korea. And then shortly after that, we got years. into Vietnam. Like, I mean, think of that time frame. Like, like we lost what 500 that we lost half a million soldiers in the matter of what 20 years maybe 25 years yeah that's unbelievable so 58,000 in the vietnam war and then after that we really didn't have any large conflicts um there were a few small battles um there was yeah throughout um, the gulf war uh, which there there weren't a ton of casualties which every casualty matters but you had some small like you know um you know, some small actions and things like that it happened in uh, Grenada, Panama yeah. in 89. Yeah, Panama. Yeah. Um, you know, and then Mogadishu in oh, yeah. 90, that was 93, uh, Persian yep. Gulf in 91. Yep. Um, Kosovo and, you know, the yep. the uh, and Bosnia stuff that happened in the later 90s and stuff like that. So they're, they're all kind of, even though they don't, they all have operational names and things like that, but they don't necessarily fall under, you know, a, lar- much, you know, yep. a larger campaign or war. Yeah. Um, so then we get into. But nonetheless, they're still important when it comes to, like, and we do remember those guys. I mean, yeah. We do, we do, and to me at least, I think they, they're encompassed in, they, if yeah. they fell for this nation. We're in, yeah, this, we're in that exactly. uniform, then they definitely fall into any, that. Any on. operation, doesn't matter. Exactly. But then you get into the, the global war on terror, and you've got the operation in Afghanistan, and then you got the operation in Iraq. And those combined um, are around 6,500 that we lost. So yep. you think about that, like, to, to us, that's modern times, right? Like, we're seeing that on the news, or we were, you know, seeing that on the news of soldiers dying. And, and that was only you know, 6,000. Right. But then you think back in Vietnam and like, they didn't have the media that we have now and they lost almost 60,000. What they, they did times of what we lost now. And like, I can't imagine living in that era. And I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking when I, you know, 10 years ago when we were hearing of, of people, you know, you hear soldiers dying and, and whatever. And it just, to think of like, the well, you had a stat. What was that stat you had on? Uh, well, well, you think think about like the evolution of of warfare and, and media and communication in general, and look at World War II. So when you know when they when they stormed the beaches of, of Normandy on D Day, you had approximately between Utah Beach, Omaha Beach, and the airborne landings, you had roughly around eight thousand soldiers that were killed on one day. One single day, 8,000 soldiers died. Now, all those telegrams had all that information had to get sent back to the War Department. They had to generate the notifications to go out to the families and things like that. So they would sporadically hear about it, you know, and and they would have to send those notifications before. It's still a thing that happens to this day where the family has to be notified before anybody else, before the newspaper can print Mm -hmm. it. So they would send this out send out those notifications weeks later before the, the newspapers are actually your, your local newspaper is publishing, you know, Joe, Jeff, John, George, and Jerry all, you know, died on Utah beach or whatever it might be. So it, it would take weeks before you would actually learn that. Now, fast forward to Vietnam, the invention of the TV had become a pretty much a, th- yeah. a pretty common thing in almost mm-hmm. every household. But at that point, so these news reporters are reporting, you know, uh, 200 soldiers killed in Vietnam today and those families are at home haven't been notified yet and are thinking 
could that be my loved one that's over there right now? Right. Fast forward, you know, to the current situation, and and we think about you know the you know the roughly sixty five or or all uh, sixty five seven thousand soldiers or so that died be, between OIF and OEF. It was that war occurred uh, the global war on terrorism the overarching campaign of the you know the the actual war and then you have OIF and OEF which are the separate separate mm-hmm. operations in each. So what you are know, those acronyms everybody knows? O- OIF, OIF is, is Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom for Afghanistan. So, yeah. okay. um, but the over the the overarching um, war would be the global war on terrorism, right? right. That's how it's technically campaigned. Yeah. Um, but so over the course of twenty years of warfare, twenty plus years of warfare, you have you know a few soldiers dying here, dying there. You know it might be three or four in a day type thing, or whatever it might be. There might be days that go, but there might be a week that goes by where no soldiers are killed in combat. So it, it's very much a different thing, and that and that has a lot to do with technology. It has a lot to do with the enemy that we were fighting. So, right. Um, but yeah, some some very stark differences between, you know. 6,000 soldiers dying in one day. Could you imagine that happening here? Yeah. Now. In, in and not just one day, but that's one, not just one yeah. day, but like one area, like one, I know there's Omaha and Utah and like it's all one area though that we were trying to hit. Right. It was Normandy. Yeah. It was Normandy we're trying to hit. Like that's one, one spot. One like operations. Yeah. Mind boggling. World War II has uh, always fascinated me. It really has. Like, it really it's just is. unbelievable. I, the amount of uh, people that died uh, across the world, really to take down a crazy bastard it just is well i mean we got to think about it on two fronts too like you i mean that i think the pacific kind of like the Mm -hmm. kind of the the romantic you know part of it the the intriguing part of world war ii is is always been the european theater and a lot of people focus on that movies focus on it and people think about that but they don't necessarily think about that pacific theater which was just as brutal if not worse yeah in a lot of ways so um and even you know, the, the, even the, the Africa version, yeah, the North, North Africa you, campaign, you know, the just, Italy I'm, campaign, like it, yep. it's there's I mean, a lot to that war. I mean, just unbelievable. And then then you get into the and I was just watching some documentaries on it on the submarine battles of that war. Oh yeah, the Pacific, and it's not even the, the Atlantic crossings and stuff yeah, like that. The that Atlantic crossing and how, how important those yeah. battles were. To the total outcome of World War of of making sure that they had safe passage, getting back and forth, and and just what's that movie that recently came out with Tom Hanks? Greyhound, Greyhound, oh man, intense, dude! From the start to the finish, it was like the one of the most intense movies. There's like no dialogue, like there's nothing happening besides like movie starts and he's in a battle it ends he's in it's, battle like it's, it's just stressed out tom hanks for yeah, two hours for sure you're like oh if man you, but you, you feel for that you feel for that guy you feel for those soldiers or yeah. those sailors that were on that ship and yep. and and how like scary that must have been for them yep. to be fighting these submarines that they can't see they're underwater yep. and they know they're deadly yep. they know they're 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 tried and true they, they've been fighting for a long time on that front so it's like it's yeah. it's really intriguing that's an intriguing thing about world war ii was that given the equipment this technology that they had right and yeah. what they were able to accomplish on yeah. on all fronts i'm talking about you know on on the allied front i don't i don't give a shit about them access teams, yeah. but on forget the, about them on the allied <laughs> front like just what they were able to accomplish and how they were able to accomplish it is just yeah. phenomenal it's like, there's so it, it's insane it, it go, that war goes so deep though like once i started really digging into some documentaries and stuff and, and, and learning about it and 
like it's more than just like a battle. The intelligence side of it, the British intelligence yeah. side of it, like they just there's a mov- new movie just came out on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, but oh, yeah, I've, yeah. I've already. Um, it's Operation Mincemeat. Mincemeat, yeah. But I, I've, I, I've, watched I've already watched documentaries on that, so I kind of know the basis of it. But like the British intelligence was like they were crucial to the success of that war. Right. The the intelligence that they had, and then they broke the code on the the submarines. Well, think about like how many of those people that were part of those resistance efforts and part of those uh, you know OSS efforts and things like yeah. that that disappeared. Yep. You know, that, that just never made a home yep. and there's no grave for them. There's no, yep. they were never part of any official roles or anything like that. Yep. Or there's no folded flag for their, you know, loved yep. ones and things like that. And that's, that's, that number can't even be calculated. Yeah. So, you know, when we, when they, when we cite those numbers or we, we look up those numbers and we see how many soldiers died in world war two, that's, it's a very rough number. Yeah. Honestly, those are just you know? basically numbers that are, uh, I guess, counted like those are what they can account for right that's it i mean yep. i'm sure that number is a lot higher in, in people that didn't make it back yeah you know just On all the whole thing's messed up which is again why this um not that we're going to make this whole podcast a world war ii podcast we could <laughs> no, no shit maybe, like, maybe we should start doing that we'll do a podcast just, just on, on, history, on a particular yeah. battle of world war ii you totally could man you, totally uh, you could, could. I, and i could talk about this stuff for hours i could too well, I guess we're not the terrible outdoors, and we're the terrible war podcast. Ter- right? Terrible, yeah, the terrible historians. Yes, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> because our facts are so. very loose. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So so let's fast forward. Let's get to Operation, uh, I guess, Iraqi Freedom. Oof. That's where you that's way spend some forward, time. Yeah. Well, where do you want to go? Where do you want to um, go with this? I, I don't. Well, this I is your podcast, this is okay? My, this is my podcast. I'm stepping back. I don't make it. I'm letting you me. take the reins. Well, well, we covered what the holiday was. Like that, right. that's what it is. That's why we should be celebrating this day. It's not National Hot Dog and Hamburger Day, even though I love me some hot dogs and hamburgers. Yeah. So just think about this when 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 you're sitting there, you're you're with friends and family, and you're barbecuing. Like seriously, think think about this. Take the time to. To understand what this holiday means, reflect. it's not reflect on yes of of the so the numbers I just gave off. So we got six hundred and twenty in the Civil War, six hundred and twenty three in the wars I just listed, and so that's what one point or one point two million people died in just the main battles that we can account for. Right, and then you get into all the other small operations and it's in the thousands too like so you can say well who knows you i don't even know if you again if you can put a number on it think of that how many people died to ensure that we have the freedom that we're not under the reign of a hitler a putin other crazy ass but well i'm not gonna say we're not under the reign of a crazy bastard (laughs) i don't know if we'll go there but um but you know like we have the freedoms that we have we take a lot of that i think a lot of people take that for granted that, that they just don't think about the sacrifices that were paid, you know, to to make sure that we still have these freedoms. They don't just come for free because, yeah. you know, who knows if we didn't win that battle against uh, at Pearl Harbor and, and Midway and all those battles in the Pacific, where the hell is the United States? You know, like think so, about that. Like where yeah. where where would this country be if we lost these wars? So on on that when we're as we you know we reflect on those giant numbers right 1.2 million or you know over the course of the last hundred years of warfare and things like that and you think about the individual soldier 
And that's kind of the concept of what I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, so I, you know, to kind of take it back, to take it back a little bit and kind of, I want to, you know, how I ran into some of these guys and how, you know, in my experience with them. Um, so obviously, you know, we've talked about the fact that I'm in the military or I'm in the army. Um, I've been in the army for going on 21 years now. So I've been doing this pretty much my whole adult life. Um, I was a 17 year old kid in high school. I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do with my life. No idea. I knew that I, you know, I was a fairly smart kid. Um, just had a terrible work ethic. I knew that if I went to college, I was probably going to wind up wasting a lot of money. And not only that, but at the point that I had just done 12 years in high school, I was like, I'm done, man. I'm, I, just, I just don't want to continue on with more school when I don't have to. Yeah. But uh, the military was something that was always kind of intriguing to me. Uh, my grandfather served in um, the Navy in World War II. Uh, and I had heard some stories about him. Uh, he died before I was born, but I never got you know, I never got a chance to actually hear him myself. But I had heard him from my grandma. I heard him from my dad and things like that. Uh, so it was always kind of intriguing to me. My uncle served in the Navy in Vietnam. Uh, and I had heard some, you know, some random things from him. And we had a couple buddies around the neighborhood who had served in Vietnam and things like that. And I had heard some different uh, stories from everybody. And uh, so the military was something that was intriguing to me. So in my senior year of high school, I went to, uh, I think the Navy recruiter showed up at the, uh, showed up at my school. So I went up and I talked to him and they handed me a few pamphlets, took these pamphlets home and sat on my bed and read the, uh, read the pamphlets and stuff. I'm all like, I want to talk. I'm, I think I want to do this. I think I want to join the Navy. So I went to, uh, went to a recruiter. I don't remember how I got in contact, whether I walked into the recruiting station or what I did, but I would talk to them and they just, they weren't really speaking my language. They were, he was really big on the submarine stuff mm-hmm. and nuclear Navy and all this other thing. And I was like, you know, I kind of saw myself as like, if I'm going to, you know, putting the camouflage in my face, creeping around the woods, doing that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, so I talked to him about Navy SEALs. And, um, he was like, yeah, well, it's kind of a, it's a hard program to get into, but you have to, you have to pick a different job in order to do that. And to me, it was very important that I do exactly what I want to do in the military. Cause if I got to do this thing, I want to, I want right. to do it my way type thing. Right. And, uh, you know, he, but he wasn't really speaking my language. The seal thing wasn't a definite thing. And I would have to, I might be scraping seagull shit off the side of a boat or something. And I was like, all right, you know, thank you for your service. And, uh, I went across the hall to the uh, Marine Corps recruiter and, uh, right away he was like, what makes you think you're good enough to join my beloved core and all this stuff. And like super intense, man, had that jarhead haircut and like just intense, man. And I was like, Whoa, bro. Like this is kind of what I want, but I don't know that I want it right now, you know? And, uh, I told him, I was like, I want to put the camouflage in my face. I want to jump out of airplanes and shit. And you're like, well, the army jumps out of airplanes. We don't jump out of airplanes. I'm like, okay and can i still put camouflage in my face and creep around the woods and they're like you mean like be infantry i was like yeah and they're like well when you join when you graduate boot camp the marine corps will tell you what you do and i'm like so you're saying i could join and i might wind up as like a truck driver or something like that and they're like yeah but you'd still be a marine i was like thank you for your service <laughs> and i walked right across the hall to the army's <laughs> office so that guy's selling tactic i don't know if he's temperature checking me or something like that but yeah. either way i walked right across the hall to the army's office i didn't know shit about the army i just knew it was like that's the big ass army right like mm-hmm. they just i don't know they do army shit like i didn't know that there's a lot of jobs yeah. in the army yeah. but i talked to the uh talked to the army recruiter and i was like hey uh i want to uh i want to jump out of airplanes and 
blow shit up. And he's like, watch this video. And he shows me an Airborne Ranger video. And I was like, dude, that's awesome. Sold. I said, but one question. I said, do I get to pick that job? And they said, we're the only branch. That we're the only branch that can. We're the, you're the only branch that where you can pick your job. Still really? pretty much true to this day. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, so I mean, at least back, I, back then when you're talking, so, like, you joined the Marines, like, they just, oh, he's going to fit here. This he, is back then. And, and he's he's going to cut potatoes because we need lots of cooks over here. I could, I, yeah, they, they might have made me a cook or the yeah. Navy might have made me a cook or it might have made me an electrician. Not, not saying anything's wrong with being a cook or being an electrician, right. but that, that wasn't me. My path yeah. and what I wanted to do was yeah. I wanted to do the, you know, I wanted to creep around the woods with camouflage in my face yeah. and do all that shit. Yeah. So talked yeah. to the Army recruiter, took the test. Uh, did pretty well on the test and, um, you know, went down, took the physical and all that stuff. And I uh, had to I uh, had to get my parents to sign um, parental consent. So the recruiter came to the house one day. And, and you know how dad is. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just like, what the hell is this guy doing at my house type thing? At this point, do mom and dad know about this? Not really. No, I, I just <laughs> said, hey, recruiter's coming over. And they're like, at this point, mom kind of wanted me to join the military, I think. Well, yeah, you kind of fucked up a little bit. Yeah, like. yeah. I was I was like, I was a pretty shitty kid in my junior, <laughs> more in my junior year of high school. My senior year, I was kind of pulling it together. But in my senior year, um, she was kind of pushing me that way, but she didn't want me to join the military my way. Right. So my way was to be infantry, ranger, all this other For stuff. Her, she'd, she'd put Airborne, you, yeah. She'd put you on a desk doing intelligence or something. Well, that, and, and so when I, when my recruiter came over and he's like, yeah, this is what he wants to do. And I need you to sign these papers. Mom was like, I'm not, you know, like she was not for it. And I basically told mom that I said, look, I'm going to turn 18 in a couple months and I'm going to do it with or without you. Yeah. And she was like, "Fine, do whatever you're going to do. Whatever you want, you're going to do whatever you want anyway." Sounds you know, just like mom. you can probably hear her, her voice in that, but <laughs> here right now, yeah. And uh, so she signed it, and I went down and took the physical, and right after that, I sat down with the, one of the guidance counselors down there at Meps, and they're like, "Hey, man, you scored well enough to do anything you want to do in the army. What do you want to do?" I said, "I want to air. I want to go airborne ranger," and they're like, "Why?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Why not?" Yeah. I remember I remember saying to the guy, he's like, you can do anything you want to do. Uh, and I told the guy, I said, if I wanted to be a cook, I'd go to Applebee's. <laughs> I said, I want to jump out of airplanes. He's like, all right, man, whatever. He was like, I was being really kind of brash with him. And he was, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he looks it up and he can't find Ranger. And I'm like, shit. And he's like, yeah, we don't have it. And I was like, what does that mean? And he was like, you can come back in two weeks, two months. We don't know. They just pop up whenever. And I was like, shit. What do I do? And I knew that if I didn't sign something today, that I might not do this ever mm-hmm. type thing. And I was like, I was ready. It was a long ass day at Maps, and I was like, you know what? Okay, what else, what's the next best thing? And he said, I got eleven X ray, four years, eight thousand dollar bonus. I said, let's do it. Boom, mm-hmm. done. What is so? Eleven X ray. Eleven X ray is um, unassigned infantry. Okay. So back in the day, there used to be four MOSs or four jobs in the infantry field, which were 11 Bravo, which is your standard, you know, light infantry, uh, 11 Charlie, which is mortarman, and then 11 Mike, mechanized infantry, and 11 Hotel, which was anti-tank infantry or Humvee infantry. They fire anti-tank missiles yeah. from Humvees, those kind of things. So I was like, 11 X-ray, unassigned. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, where I'm going. I just know yeah. I'm going to Fort Benning in August. And I was like, yeah. okay. So kind of fast forward, ship day comes, and I ship out, and I get down to Fort Benning, Georgia, home of the infantry, and I'm like, 
what the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> Showed up and just, you know, you go to 30th AG, which is a replacement down there. And it's where you get your first awesome haircut. You get your ID card, your dog tags and your, you know, your uniforms and boots and all this shit. And I'm like, yeah. I hated it, dude. I hated it. I was like, why did I do this? I was thinking like, think of any way how do i get out of this i was like i'm gonna call my girlfriend and have her come pick me up or something (laughs) like it was like it it, and it was it was purgatory it was was, because you're not you haven't started your training yet and stuff like that so it was like but kind of fast forward you know day one shows up shark attack and all that cool stuff and um you know we get hot and heavy into the training it was it took me about two weeks about two weeks in infantry basic training to realize I fucking loved it. Yeah. I loved it. I was like, man, I'm getting paid right now to crawl around and shoot shit and Mm -hmm. just do rappel off of towers and do all this cool stuff. So I really, you know, at first, if for an 18 year old kid to say, you know what, I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing right now. It was pretty, it was a big moment for me. Yeah. Um, so, you know, graduated basic training, did really, did pretty well. I was a pretty physically fit dude. I think I had the highest PT score. I got an award for being high, having the highest PT score in the platoon and things like that. And um, at my first duty station, I got orders to go to Fort Hood, Texas. Um, and I was like, I was bummed. I was bummed, man, because all I wanted to do was go to range regiment. That's all mm-hmm. I wanted to do. And I wound up at Fort Hood, Texas in a mechanized infantry unit. And I was, was a, that was the last one I wanted to do. Like, out yeah. of all the other ones, I could, you know, I could be a Charlie. I could be a Bravo. I could be a, a hotel. Yeah. They made me a mic. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm stuck <laughs> in this stupid tank. And I don't want to be a tanker, man. I would If I wanted to ride a tank, I would have been a tanker. Yeah. So went down to Texas. And when I got there, I figured out that I freaking loved it. I love Texas. So this is man. like... 99 probably. yeah yeah so yeah i didn't even i guess i didn't even put any dates 90, so 98 is when you went in right no 99 i joined i graduated high school in 99 i joined well, that's right and yeah. shipped in 99 and then so you're I, in hood in like 2000 2000 yeah i got to hood in 2000 um and i served in everything from you know everything within an infantry squad from you know i think i started as an automatic rifleman all the way to you know a, a, a standard rifleman in a, in a dismount squad and then um rto platoon rto for a while i became a bradley driver for a while bradley gunner for a minute um got promoted to sergeant and took over a team and it was like shortly after that september 11th happened um september 11th happened and uh changed the world for me completely changed my idea because at that point we were not at war we were kosovo was kicking off and you know that shit was going on but nobody was deploying i think my unit just gotten back from bosnia or something when i got there and they didn't see any combat or anything like that. So there wasn't any real combat operations going on. Mm-hmm. But um, September 11th happened, and that changed changed my life, changed my idea. I knew that this was my generation's war. Just like every generation mm-hmm. before me, I knew that, um, you know, at that point, and those of you who are listening who remember, you know, most people remember where they were on that yep. day. And uh, for those of you who remember it, remember the kind of that – sense of vulnerability i guess that we had as mm-hmm. a country and um you know i was already in uniform i was a sergeant i was a, i was a leader in charge of troops at that time and i was like you know i want to I, I need to be part of this fight and i think right after it kicked off like the fight was in afghanistan i knew i was part of the first i was in the first cavalry division at the time mechanized heavy mechanized infantry and i was like these motherfuckers aren't going to war anytime soon <laughs> not in afghanistan it's just mountains and you know there's not a real reason for them to be here right now so i was like i want to go to a unit that's going to be there 
Um, so I re-enlisted and went to the 82nd Airborne Division. Uh, went to jump school and route, which is a hoot. Uh, but it was what I wanted to do. That was what I originally signed up to do was to jump this on airplanes. This is in like, oh, well, it would have been, when did you re-enlist? 02? Um, yeah, it would have been 02. Yeah, it was, it was, it was oh, yeah, not, it just beginning of 02. Yeah, and you're not married yet because you got married in 04. No, I got, yeah. uh, I, no, I got married in 03. Okay. I got married right before you better before have that Iraq. right. Your wife gonna kick your ass. Yeah, I got married. I got married before Iraq, <laughs> um, and I went to the 82nd Airborne Division. I went to First Brigade, uh, first to the 504th, or Bravo Company, first to the 504th. Um, Devils and baggy pants. Um, awesome unit. Uh, I loved being at the 82nd Airborne Division. It was a whole different mentality than I was used to in the First Cavalry mm. Division, which was like, you know, the First Cavalry Division was just uh, survive. You know, meet mm. the standard. You know, yeah. go out there, do your job. And be good at it, and that's really about all we're going to ask of you. And <laughs> just, just, just be good at your job. Yeah. When he went to the eighty second, it was you're never good enough. Yeah. You're never good enough. You never run fast enough. You can never lift enough. You can never be good enough. So be better all yeah. the time. So, and that was a the mentality there. Was that it was very much an elite, uh, elitist type unit, or at least a mentality. Uh, and you had to earn it. Like you had to be, you know, the best. And, uh, and I really enjoyed that because that was what I signed up to do. I wanted to be part of an elite unit. And um, I found that they, they were. They were really good at what they did. And um, so kind of fast-forwarding, shortly after I had gotten there, I was there. I got there as a sergeant. I got there as a sergeant five jump chump. So I came right out of jump school and to the unit. And I had privates that had – now they, they had combat instruments badges because they had just returned from Afghanistan. And I was like – here I am with my expert instruments badge, which is a, it's just a separate badge. Expert instruments badge is like a, you know, you go through like this testing and shit like that, and you got to do some physical stuff, and, and you get awarded this badge if, as long as you're good enough, you know. And then, but the combat instruments badge, you have to come under fire, uh, and there's certain criteria to, you know, to get the combat instruments badge. And these guys had it, and I didn't. So now I'm in charge of guys. So this that is O two. Yeah. And so they went to Afghanistan. Afghanistan actually started in O one. Yeah. They were on, I think, the second rotation. Yeah. I think the first rotation was um, was 10th Mountain Division, and then the 82nd went in there after that. Gotcha. So they they had just gotten back. I showed up, and then it was... I don't think people realize that that operation yeah. started so soon. Like the... Yeah, it started... They, it started everybody started. thinks it started, like, right after... I guess right after 9-11, and really we were already there. There was troops. Well, no, no, well, no. not in we Iraq. Weren't there. there were no, not Iraq, uh, right. Afghanistan. Yeah, there were there were troops on the ground shortly after 9-11, but most of them were special operations forces and, yeah. and doing those kind of things, and and kind of shaping the battlefield until it turned into something that warranted more and more and more and more until they built up Afghanistan. But um, yeah, OAF happened a couple of years. You know, it was two years after that. And I didn't know, I didn't think that we were going to Iraq. Um, There was talk about it. And at that point, it was like, you know, rumblings in the army. It wasn't national news at that point, but there were units deploying Mm -hmm. in 02 that were staging up for Iraq. And, um, you know, I got to the 82nd and it was kind of shortly after that, that I wound up, it was there maybe a month or two. And I wound up in, um, it was kind of short notice. They were like, hey, uh, pack your shit up. You guys are leaving, like, within days, you know. So it was like, you know, I had just gotten married, and I had to tell I had to tell the wife, uh, hey, I'm getting ready to uh, 
I'm going to Iraq. <laughs> and she was like, you know, I, we hadn't been married more than, you know, yeah. a, a month or two at that point, but, um, you know, there wasn't really much I could say about it and much of what we yeah. could do about it. So it was just like, all right, let's get our shit together. Let's get our I mean, you, affairs. I guess you, and, you knew what you're signing up for. Like, yeah, oh yeah. Well, it was, it's exciting for a, right. you know, for a soldier who's been in the army at that point, I've been in the yeah. army for three years and three, almost four years. I was already a sergeant and like, I've been training my whole adult life to that mm-hmm. point. And, you know, I've been training for combat, you know, right. as an infantry team leader, fire team leader, like that's what you want to do. Right. Like there, there's no, yeah. there's not a single soldier mm-hmm. in the 82nd airborne division or the 101st airborne division or 10th mountain division or the first Marine division. That's not 100% prepared to go to war and ready to go to war, right. wants to go to war. So when the, when the flag went up, we were like, you know, to our wives and things like that, we're like, man, this really sucks. But at work, we're like, fuck yeah, let's get this. You know, let's do this. Get so, some. Get some. You know, but it's, uh, it is, it was, it was exciting. You knew that it was, it was part of a, you know, a huge operation. We didn't know how big it was. I didn't know how big it was until we got there. And um, so, you know, obviously we deployed, um, you know, I, I deployed with an awesome squad. I would say, I, you know, in every squad and every platoon and every company thinks that they're the best and within their unit. And I, I'll I'll go to bat. I'll bet a paycheck that first squad, third platoon, Bravo Company 1504 could have outdone any squad in Bravo Company at that point. I, I don't know the other com- the other companies, but um, our squad was shit hot. Like, we were good. And we were all kind of new to the squad, too. The squad had been kind of, like, redesigned or, or rebuilt after their first Afghanistan deployment. So we were all kind of new. Both team leaders, me and um, a good buddy of mine named Jose Guzman, uh, we were both the team leaders. Our squad leader was um, Juventino Castillo, and we had a bunch of brand-new Joes, pretty much a whole squad. There might have been one or two vets that had been to Afghanistan, but the mm-hmm. rest of us were all brand-new, but we we gelled really well. And uh, so we deployed, you know, um, very first mission. Um, so we land. I landed by C-130 into BIOP. So they had already secured, a, you know, the the airfield and things like that at that point. And it was a little bit after the initial push. And um, so I landed in BIOP and I could see these, uh, you know, at Baghdad International Airport by C-130. And we offloaded and we staged to uh, we were going to take C, uh, CH-47 Chinook helicopters to, into Fallujah. We had gotten the mission briefing in Kuwait before we were getting ready to go, and it was a very real kind of situation. Like, yeah. they're expecting, we're expecting 80% casualties, and, like, th- these are the kind of briefings that you get. Like, yeah. these are, you know, they're showing us aerial, you know, satellite images of gun emplacements and shit like that and like our mission is to take this particular corner you know whatever it might be this intersection of a road small objectives you know if for a particular squad you get a small objective you're not like yeah. you're taking this whole compound it's not the way it works companies right. designed to take the to take the whole compound but the squad is going to take one yep. particular each squad's got their mission they each squad has their individual mission which all go you know all part of the pie yep. or all part of the puzzle so um but I remember seeing at Baghdad International Airport, I remember seeing these uh, these bunkers that were on the airfield that had like a JDAM had just been dropped on it not too long ago. <laughs> just a massive hole in the top of a bunker. And you're like, holy shit, man, this is a war zone. This yeah. is real. And uh, so anyway, we mounted up in these CH-47s. The CH-47s are Chinook helicopters, like basically a bus that flies. They're huge. 
And uh, we take, I don't know, it's probably maybe a 30-minute flight from Baghdad into Fallujah. And when we landed, I remember offloading the CH-47, and there was a vehicle parked like kind of right next to the helicopter, and it was shot to shit. Mm. I mean, there's still blood on the windows, and like it's it was like recently shot the hell up. And I was like, "Welcome to war, dude. Yeah. You're here, man." And yep, I'm like, "This is it. Holy shit, <laughs> this is dude! What you signed up for?" Yeah, and so very much eye opening experience. And it was so yeah. So it was uh, a couple. You know, we spent a couple of days kind of getting our bearings and figuring out where we, you know, what our mission is. And our, our mission was Fallujah. That was the city of Fallujah. And it was, uh, you know, every, Fallujah is not just like, hey, every, everybody just randomly go into Fallujah and go find bad guys and kill them type thing. It was more, it was, it was divided into sectors in each, you know, we were there as part of a task force, task force Panther, which we were attached to the 505th um, parachute infantry regiment. And we did, um, so we had a certain sector of Fallujah. And we would do all missions and develop intelligence and capture and kill terrorists if needed. And, um, yeah, it was, I think it was on just a few days or not, it wasn't long after we had gotten there. Um, we took our first casualty, uh, which was a guy named Trevor Blumberg. Um, he was killed in the IED, um, improvised explosive device. Uh, it was two daisy chained 132 African howitzers that were buried underground. And, uh, I believe there was an ambush involved with it too. He was killed, uh, instantly killed. Uh, and the whole vehicle was, um, everybody in that vehicle became a casualty. So yeah. there was a guy, one of the guys, um, he was a friend of mine. Uh, he lost his leg below, just below the knee. Um, a couple other guys took some pretty severe shrapnel wounds throughout their face, you know, chest, hand, you know, neck, all that kind of stuff. And the whole squad went home pretty much in an instant. They, Jesus. you know, one guy died right away. That was Trevor Blumberg, uh, who is a native Michigander. Uh, he was from Monroe. Um, I didn't know him all that well. He wasn't in my platoon. He was in first platoon. And, um, you know, and I, and I was fairly new to the company, but he had to play with those guys to Afghanistan. I believe he deployed with them to Afghanistan, but um, he was a specialist at the time. They, I think he was posthumously promoted to sergeant, but he uh, he was killed right away. And that, that was a tough, tough event yeah. for the company, especially well, since... Yeah, you see your first casualty, right? What, well, not only that, but the whole squad. Right. You know, the whole squad, like, right. it, it, it basically detonated underneath the vehicle, killed him instantly, um caught the vehicle on fire and uh you know and just about everybody was wounded in the vehicle the driver was knocked out the squad leader who was the tc he was the, the truck commander who's the only one good good buddy dude good solid solid dude his name was foster the most salty soldier i've ever met in my life <laughs> his claim to fame was that he had been every rank up to up to staff sergeant twice <laughs> Yeah, so a solid dude, and um, he definitely saved some lives that day. Pulled some dudes out of the burning vehicle, um, and did some really heroic shit. But that happened. That was really soon into the uh, deployment, and that set the tone. That set the yeah. tone right away, and yeah. it was it got, get, it got real serious after yeah, that. Well, it, I mean, it, it was, was probably already serious, but that's when it probably like, all right. <laughs> well, like, yeah, it was it was game fucking on at yeah. that point, yeah. you know, because you got. Got some pissed off paratroopers ready to, uh, yep. ready to, ready to fuck you know, up. go do God's justice. Yep. So, um, it was, yeah, eye opener for sure. Um, kind of a cool, not, you know, kind of a interesting, well, 
cool thing about um, you know Trevor Blumberg. Like I said, he was from he's from Michigan. He's from Monroe. His family's originally from Monroe. He's actually buried in Monroe. And um, but after he died, um, he I, I believe that it was like a like kind of a last will and testament that he wanted his parents to create a like a bed and breakfast type thing up north up near Ottaway, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, a place that we hunt and kind of a, this kind of a, a weird, kind of a weird story. The way I came about it is just a few years ago. Um, I knew that they had done this thing where they started like this bed and breakfast up near Ottaway or up near Black Lake. And, um, we were driving, we had to take a detour. It was the first time I ever yeah. went up there and, uh, we have a hunting camp up there and we'll talk a lot about that when we get into the hunting and hunting stuff. But we have a hunting camp up in Ottawa and, uh, we had to take a detour cause the bridge was out. Mm-hmm. We took this detour and we took this back road and I'm driving down this back road and all of a sudden I come across a sign that says Blum's Landing and I stopped the truck and I said, holy shit. And I remember, I think dad was in the truck. You might've been mm-hmm. in the truck. And they're like, what? And I'm like, that's Blum's Landing. And they're like, okay. What is that? What the, what the, what the hell is Blum's Landing? What the fuck I, is that? Like, I backed up the truck and I pulled in there. And I kind of, I think I gave them like a brief synopsis of what the, what was going on. And I jumped out of the truck and I went up to the front door and knocked on the door. And uh, it was Trevor's mom that came out. And I, I told her, I said, I, I served with your son. I was there the day he died. And uh, she was like you know, oh my God, you know, crazy. It was just a crazy, weird coincidence that I came across this place. Gave me fucking chills, man. Yeah, I just came across this place. on the back of my neck. (laughs) In a a random, random place in the woods. What are the odds that we are hunting? Because we always hunted in the UP for years. Yeah. And I think that was the first year, for whatever reason, we decided, hey, let's go to Onaway, where my father-in-law goes. He invited us down. Had we not done that, I mean, eventually you might have found it, but, like, how, how crazy is that? And... Yeah. yeah. And then for her side of it too, like all of a sudden this random Joe's knocking on the door and it's you yeah. who not only knew him, but was there the day he died. Yeah. That's, oh man, it's crazy. Chills. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of going back to that OIF deployment. And again, this is OIF one. So, this is the, the initial operation of Iraq. And, um, so kind of fast forwarding, uh, we lost another soldier. Uh, it would have been in, um, in that same month, or this was in September, September 29th of 03, we lost Andrew Baddock. Uh, Sergeant Baddock had responded. I think he responded as part of a QRF force and, um, he didn't die, uh, in action, but he died saving a, I, I want to say, if I remember right, it was a, it was a MP military police, uh, vehicle had overturned in a canal and, um, the QRF responded and he jumped in the canal to try to save somebody and he drowned, mm-hmm. um, which is, which is brutal. Those canals are, I mean, they're the current whips in them and they're, yeah. they're, they're nuts. And he jumped in there to try to save an MP and he wound up, he wound up drowning and dying. So that was the, that was the second casualty that my battalion, he was from Alpha company. And, um, that was the second, um, casualty in the second memorial ceremony that we had to do which we started to become a thing and uh you know i I hate memorial ceremonies to this day i mean i i I love to to you know to remember the guys but like a memorial ceremony is a a difficult thing to go through um 
and then shortly after that, it was, it was shortly after, it was maybe a month or two after that, we, you know, my company got tasked with a with a separate mission to go and help up on the Syrian border up in the northwestern northwestern side of Iraq, and we, uh, you know, so I had to we had to fly. We took Chinook helicopters again up to uh, a place called El Kaim um, or uh, Huseba. There's like two little mm-hmm. towns there, Al Qaim and Huseba. Huseba was the main one that we operated in. And uh, there were some armored guys up there that didn't have any infantry and they were getting their asses handed to them. Like they just get, they would get shot at and then they would just shoot back and then they would take off. You know, mm-hmm. you got to get infantry in there to close with and engage mm-hmm. and, and destroy the enemy. You'll never hold anything if you, unless you have infantry troops on the ground. So it was a company of us, uh, Bravo Company 1504, and then there was a company from Rakasan's 101st Airborne Division. And uh, so we went up there and started conducting operations in there. So kind of kind of a crazy story there is that it was like the day before I flew. And um, I told I called Nikki. I called called my wife and uh, I talked to her. And, and, you know, for operational security reasons, you can't like divulge like where you're going, Mm -hmm. where you're at, where you're going or what you're doing. And so I had to kind of in a coded way tell her that like, I'm leaving Fallujah and I'm going somewhere else and I'm going to be on a bird. So I communicated that to her. I don't remember mm-hmm. how I did it, did it yeah. but I told her that I was flying. And um, it was that day, that that same afternoon, a Chinook helicopter was shot down in Fallujah. Jesus. It might have been that same day or the same morning that I flew. I think it was the same day because I, I think it was in the air at the same time. That but this this uh, bird was shot down in Fallujah, and there were some guys from our battalion that were involved in that recovery of that bird, and there was a lot of a few soldiers killed on that bird. Um, but back home, they see on CNN that a Chinook helicopter had just been mm-hmm. shot down in Fallujah, Iraq, and you just told and your I wife. just told my wife that I'm getting on a helicopter. Well, so, <laughs> and so when that happens, we were talked about this a little bit earlier. Notifications have to go out. So when notifications mm-hmm. have to go out, you're not allowed. You cannot use a phone. Mm-hmm. They shut down all communication devices. There's no way I can't email, can't you can't get on the phone. I can't do anything to commun- communicate to my spouse or my my people back home about anything mm-hmm. because they have to notify the family first. So she didn't hear from me for like three four days. Jeez. So I was I just flew up to the northern northwestern side of the country, and she has no idea if I was on that bird that went down. So yeah, and you can talk. You can ask her about that. Like yeah, that, I'm she sure was she was upset about that one. But I, I finally got a, got a chance to call her a couple of days later. Like, hey, I'm good. And she was like freaked out, man. Yeah. Because back home, they they get they only get the news. They get the news off the news, right? You know. So they, right. you know, that, I, I remember because uh, shit back then. I was, you know, I was still in high school. I think at that. Well, yeah, because that's the year I graduated. Do I remember like at night, like you just you're watching the news. And you're just reading through like the list of soldiers that they're putting that 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 are dying, and it's. I remember being like, the worst fucking thing to do, like knowing like, am I gonna see that last name? Like, it was, it was fucking terrible. Like, I can only imagine what she's going through after that conversation and 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 being married to you and shit. And I'm like. Yeah, it was brutal. So that, that, it was the not knowing, you know. And I get like the the whole communication thing, like, but it was that was. Those are rough. Well, it not long bef- it. not long before that, like the company had lost Blumberg. Mm-hmm. So they were you know, in in how those notifications and things went out that, you know, a soldier in the company had died and they didn't they're not allowed to say who it is. 
issues. That person has to be no, that family has to be notified. They just know somebody died from the company, yeah. and the FRG is just like rolling. It's almost like they're rolling the dice. Like, is it is it is it my yeah. spouse? Is it you know? So it, it's it's a kind of a, it's a nerve wracking thing. Yeah. It, uh, on my side, not so much. I know what happened. I was I, yeah. I'm there. You know, I know yeah. that I know that Trevor was killed, and and you know, I know yeah. it. You know, but I can't communicate that back. So. Yeah. Anyway, um, so we went to, I went up to Al-Qaim and we were up there for a while. But while we were gone, we were, we had an, um, you know, kind of an attache. We had a company of guys from, I think it was 116, first, um, first infantry division guys. And um, they got involved in a, uh, in an ambush that happened in, in Fallujah and they lost a couple guys. And I think it was the day that I flew back because I was, I, I remember, I think I remember going to their, uh, going to their uh, memorial ceremony for them. So it's like, I just left a memorial ceremony. I come back from Syria. And I mean, we were operating up there and there, mm-hmm. our own crap was happening up there. And yeah. we're doing missions every single night up there, coming back and then boom, right into a, you know, another memorial ceremony for a fallen soldier out of, you know, I actually think it was three soldiers that were killed in the uh, first infantry division. They, those guys were our boys, man. They like, they, yeah. they were, they were solid dudes, really good dudes. And they were kind of attached to us, but at the same time they were, we treat them as their, yeah. our own type thing. Um, I, and one of the guys that was killed there, I, I don't know the name of the other two, but another guy, one of those guys was Mark Vasquez and he was a, um, he was a local Michigander too. He's from Port Huron. Mm. Um, and there's actually a pretty, there's a video on YouTube where you can look up the, um, you can, there, they do the memorial ceremony in the sky. He used to play this song. He wrote the song over there. He'd play guitar and he, he would, you'd hear him singing throughout the fob and stuff like that. Mm. And, um, and he wrote this song to play at these memorial ceremonies. And I, I swear to God, great song, but I fucking hate that song to this day. You don't want me to play it right now? No, hell no. Don't, don't play that song. <laughs> and But I swear to God, like, I hated that song, man, because we kept hearing it. We just kept yeah. hearing it. And it was like, I don't want to hear that damn song yeah. anymore. Um, so, and again, uh, this is, this was 03. So it was, uh, it was rock and roll, man. It was every single day we were on missions. Yeah. I was on QRF quick reaction force, or I was doing missions. I did very little kind of fob security. And yeah. I think I did like detainee guard like once mm-hmm. or something like that. For the most part, we were out every single night, knocking down somebody's door, waking people up at night, you know? And, um, so it was. And eventually, it, that wears on you, man. Mm-hmm. That wears on you every single day, seven days a week. Every night at yeah. two, two, three o'clock in the morning, we're we're waking somebody up in some village, some some part yeah. of Fallujah, or the outskirts of Fallujah, or Al Qaim, mm-hmm. and later Ramadi. Um, you know, so it, it started to wear on you after a while, and then as you're losing soldiers at the same time, mm-hmm. and you're dealing with that kind of stuff, sir. Um. You know, it, it starts to wear on you after a while. And Losing then soldiers, you're away from home, from your new wife, your yeah, you know, the like, comfort of home. Yeah. So sleeping on the fucking ground. Yeah, yeah. I've slept on the I've slept on the ground. Yeah. I've slept on the yeah. you know just out in the dirt. I've yeah. <laughs> slept in the back of a Humvee. I've slept anywhere you can possibly sleep. Yeah. I've slept there. So um, a little bit later, um, Christmas time. Uh, so Christmas time, oh three. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. Saddam Hussein was caught in um, 
beginning around like December 10th, December 11th, somewhere around there. I, I don't know. You have to fact check me on that. But um, or Saddam Hussein was caught. That kind of changed the game a little bit. Uh, Fallujah was a super pro Saddam city. And um, they got a little pissed when when, mm-hmm. when, the, when U.S. forces captured him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was shortly after that, it was around, we did an Operation Christmas List, which was a... Um, it was like every unit in the 82nd Airborne Division was hitting a house on Christmas Eve. We did that. And then um, it was a 28th. I think it was a 28th, a couple of days after Christmas. I think it was a 20. So it was a 27th. I was sitting in an MWR room and I was sitting next to this officer. And I'd never met him before, but I had heard his name. People talk about him and stuff like that. This guy, his name was uh, Captain Blanco. And uh, super nice guy, nice guy I ever met, man. Swear to God. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he was telling me about how he was from Texas, and I think he went to Texas A and M or something like that. And we were talking about Texas then because I was stationed in Texas. I was there for a while, and we're talking about Colleen, talking about Austin, mm-hmm. Texas, and you know all this crazy stuff. And the first time I ever met the guy, and you know I was only sitting there for 10, 15 minutes before it was my turn on the phone. And uh, but I had that short conversation with him. It was that next day he was killed in a improvised explosive device attack again and uh that was a hoot man that that the whole battalion stood up for that when we heard i think it was i want to say it was in the morning i want to say it was like kind of early afternoon um and it was in a town that we were very acquainted with and a nasty little town called el el karma outside of uh or karma you know, just north of Fallujah or northwest, of, northeast of Fallujah. And um, so the whole battalion got stood up and we went out there and did a um, just kind of a sweep through the whole town. And I'm talking, talk about some angry paratroopers, man, yeah. angry paratroopers and kind of, kind of just like a, like a funny tidbit to that story. Like we were, we went out there and um, they captured a dude. They captured the dude that they think initiated the uh, the ambush, and um, but we were still conducting the operation. And me and my uh, me and my squad leader were sitting at the back of a Humvee, and we're just kind of walking, watching out. It was just at dusk, and we're watching out in the back of this, you know, at the in this open field right behind our Humvee. I got my saw gunner; he's up on top of the Humvee. And back then, it were light skinned Humvees. There was no no armor, no turrets, anything like that. It was literally a a plain Jane Humvee and we had a sandbag bunker in the back of this thing. That was our, our that was how we <laughs> rode around Jesus. back then. But anyway, so my saw gunner's up on top of the vehicle and my, another member of my team is, you know, he's a driver. So he's kind of standing by the door and my other saw gunner or my other, uh, um, rifleman's on the other side of the vehicle. And, uh, we're sitting back and, and we're just kind of chit-chatting and it's just getting dark. We got our night vision on and stuff like that. And there's these two dogs in the field <laughs> that are in the back of, that are in this field, maybe 30, 40 yards from us. And they're in this field and they're just going at it, <laughs> just straight up banging in the field behind us. And we're just kind of sitting there giggling, looking at these dogs that are, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> that are doing their business out in this field and we're laughing and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, wham, RPG hits. Um, not more than I, I shit, man. I shit you not. It was maybe 20 yards. Jesus. Rock my world, man. Rock my world. I hit the ground and I heard, uh, I heard my saw gunner. Boom. He hit the, or he hit the side of the Humvee and then boom, he hit the ground. And I was like, I thought it, it you know, his name was burn Logan burn. 
and I thought that uh, I thought Burn had been hit, and then all of a sudden, boom! Another one came in. It was closer. It was like in between, so it was about fifteen yards, ten yards. It was close. You can ask those dudes, man. It was like it was mm-hmm. honest, and uh, and I'm I'm thinking Burns hit, so I start crawling towards Burn, and I'm yelling his name, and he like looks at me, and he like gives me, a, he just like looks at me, with eyes wide open, and just gives me a thumbs up, like I'm good. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, man, my heart <laughs> skipped a beat, and and people ask me that from time to time. You know, especially I talk to like a lot of young people thinking about joining the army and they're like, you know, when you, when you went to combat, were you scared? And I kind of have to think about that. And like, there's some times and there's some missions or some things like that where you're like, fuck, I don't want to do this one, man. This one's, this one doesn't sound right. And things like that. But at the same time, I can honestly say that I was never afraid for myself. Yeah. I was always afraid for my guys to my left and my right. Yeah. For my team. Especially, you know, Burn, Knox, and Hunter, those were my those are my guys. And, you know, so like when we had to go out on a mission or something like that, like I would spend more time preparing them, checking them, making sure they had the plates in, make sure they had their water, make sure they had all their ammo, making sure all their shit worked, doing my PCCs and P or pre combat checks and pre combat inspections, make sure that they were squared away. And half the time I'd be missing half my shit, you know, I'm like, I forgot, shit, I forgot my sunglasses. I forgot my eye pro. Like, God damn it. Well, you know, but I, I spent all that time making sure they were squared away, but I was all fucked that's up. That's a good leader though there. Yeah. But like, I, and that's the best way I can put it as far as like being scared to go into combat. I, I was never scared for myself, honestly. Yeah. I was, I was always afraid that one of them were going to get hurt though. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of the concept with that. But, but yeah, uh, you know, so it, those two RPGs come in on us and we're like, you know, the immediately squad leader's laying right next to me. He's like, he gets on the radio and he's like, where's the fuck, where the fuck's that coming from? Where's it coming from? And uh, somebody comes like nonchalant over the radio. They're like, yeah, we think some guys just shot some RPGs at you from on top of that rooftop. And we're like, Fucking shoot him, man! What what are you doing? No right? shit, oh, Sherlock! Oh my god, dude! Next thing you know, you hear some you hear some automatic rifle. You hear that two forty Bravo thing, and you're like, God damn it! And then we started, and then we had to assault, and then we had to like start moving and closing in on right. it. Like that's a scary situation when you got like an RPG up your ass, and then now yeah. you got to assault it. Now you got to start moving. Now you got to right. find who shot that. You know, Jesus so. Christ. Yeah, that was a couple of days after. That was the twenty eighth of December. Cat um, was, you know, fast forwarding. You know, this is just this is my first deployment. I deployed after that, but my first deployment was probably the most eventful. And then, uh, kind of fast forward, it was I think in January, February. I went to up to Ramadi, Ramadi, Iraq was um, the Wild West. Mm-hmm. You know, we thought Fallujah was bad, but Ramadi was off the chain, man. Every single night we were shooting, we were getting shot at and getting mortared. Like it was, it was rock and roll in that place. But I will, I'll say this about Ramadi. It was my favorite time in combat. Like we were getting, like we were detached from the company. We, so we were at a small combat outpost out, you know, in, in the city of Ramadi. And, and it was up to us. We, they're, they kind of just hands off, like do your thing. So like the platoon sergeant, I had a, I had a badass salty ass platoon sergeant man his name was uh walter embick he's a uh, retired sergeant major now and uh i swear to god like he came to us about halfway well not maybe a couple months in, or maybe a month or so into into the deployment but when we got this guy we were like oh shit we just got like we just got the real deal man like as our, our platoon sergeant before that like yeah i'm not gonna name names or anything like that but he was 
Yeah. He he was road, man. He was retired on active duty. He needed to go. Like yeah. he was he was like, I don't want to go out. I don't want to go on missions. I don't you know, trying to get us out of anything. But like when Salty Walty got in there, man, he was like rip roaring, range rific, dude. Let's he, go. Yeah, he spent some time in range regiment and stuff like that. So he was like, How can we get in this fight? And he yeah. got us in the fight, man. Like he was this yeah. solid dude, but he was the kind of guy that you would go to war with. Yeah. If he said, Hey, we're gonna do this, you're like, Fuck yeah, let's do this. You know, and, and that's the kind of combat leader that you need, you know, you know, not just somebody's going to baby you. Yeah. yeah you know, you got to look out for your troops, but at the same time you want, somebody's going to lead you through it. Cause you know, you got to do it one way or another, but yeah. Um, so, you know, Embic was running a lot of those missions and, uh, a lot of the different, you know, just odds and ends that we would do. We go out and just go conduct a patrol, go and snoop and poop and do some different, you know, stuff. And I, I got some very specific story. I can probably tell you 30 different stories from the, I was there for, I think about a month. We were in Ramadi and uh, I got some very specific stories that are, that are hilarious. And yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste too much time on this uh, podcast <laughs> telling them, but you know, um, yeah. but a very, very different city. So, and it's right on the Euphrates river and it's, it's, they're not more than shit, maybe an hour apart, you know, in driving distance. And, just night and day, night and day difference. So like Fallujah was pretty locked down at that point. Like we had a pretty, it wasn't, there wasn't that much going on. It had one, it, it, at the beginning it was very, you know, hot and heavy. And then towards the, towards the end of our time in Fallujah, it, it really slowed down. But then when we got to Ramadi, it was like a whole new yeah. can of worms. We relieved some national guard dudes, not Michigan national guard, but Florida national guard guys there. And, uh, and they were, they had been there too long. You know, yeah, I think at that point they were there for 13 months and they were Jeez. like, you know, for National Guard guys and then not saying anything bad about National Guard, but it's not their day to day, you know. So they were like, <laughs> you could tell like they needed to go. Yeah. Like we had a there was a uh, I think a private lost it, got got a hold of some liquor somehow one night and tried to kill his his CO with, you know, gunshots Jeez. like gunshots right outside my damn building, man. And Jesus. they wrapped him up, had to get the MPs down there. It was just some crazy shit happened with those guys. And eventually yeah. they left. Well, they I imagine were, the mental breakdown over there was probably like. For some, yeah. For some. Yeah. and Yeah, uh, I'm sure that some guys are, they're all about it, right? But then you get right. these other guys who are just not, they realize that the military is not cut out for them when they get, when they get into the shit. You know? I, I, call, I call it fatigue, you know, because anybody can do it. Any, anybody can run a combat mission once or twice, but when you do yeah. that shit day in, day out for months yeah. on end, like you, you get fatigued, yeah. um, you know, very much so mentally. And, uh, you know, it's just a, uh, it's something that the active duty trains for. That's what they, that's what they do. Sustain combat operations, you know? Um, but you know, for some of the other, some different units in the army, that's, it's, you know, I, th- I think that everything started to transform a lot after mm-hmm. Iraq is that everybody started training for Iraq. Yeah. So it was like, all right, we're going to be we're going to be there. We're going to be there yeah. for a year. We're going to be conducting continuous combat operations. So it's time to get our minds right and get them, you know, get to get to work. Right. Right. So before that, it was all like kind of Cold War doctrine, you know, mm-hmm. uh, shit. I, we did a lot of trench clearing and it was like Persian Gulf. Like it's always a pat. Yeah. It's the last conflict that we're training for. Um, you know, so that kind of thing, but, but yeah, so that the Ramadi was, that was kind of the end of my deployment. We came back to Fallujah. We got kind of alerted and like said, Hey, pack up all your shit. You're leaving Ramadi. You're going back to Fallujah. And we're like, shit, where are we going now? Mm-hmm. You know, pack up all of our stuff when we get back to Fallujah and 
And when we got there, we were like, we were thinking like that they were going to send us to Afghanistan or something. You know how the mm-hmm. like in the military, like everybody's spreading rumors. Yeah. Nobody knows what's actually true. Right. You know, so everything's a bunch of rumors. So it's like, yeah, they're sending us over to Afghanistan. We're like, well, okay, let's go to Afghanistan now. I guess what the yeah. hell, you know? Because like, you have no idea when you're leaving. And like uh, they're like, yeah, pack up all your bags and put them on these uh, pallets over here. And we put them on the pallets. And then we took this long-ass convoy into Baghdad, uh, back into Biop. And again, we didn't know where we were going. It wasn't until we were in the air, leaving Iraq airspace. And I think we went to Kuwait. We went to Kuwait. And we were there for like a few, maybe an hour or two. And then from there, we were flying. And I think it was a first sergeant came over the... Um, first Sergeant Walter Tagalikid, we used to call him First Sergeant Tag. Uh, he retired as the um, Sergeant Major in charge of all of, I think, of all of Korea or PACCOM or something like that. He was oh, sure. way up there, yeah. But anyway, he um, he came over. I think he came over the, uh, if I remember right, he came over the uh, the in, the in flight intercom thing and said, hey, we're going home. And it was like, what? We're going fucking home. <laughs> you know, I think everybody kind of thought that that was what was happening. But uh, yeah. at that point that he could finally tell us that that's what was happening was pretty cool. Yeah. And, uh, and if my, this is a long ass time ago. Next year will be 20 years since that deployment. So this has, been a long, this has been a long time. But I want to say that he said, we're stopping in Shannon, Ireland. And it's a two beer minimum. <laughs> yeah, yeah i was like oh shit uh, all right yeah so we we stopped in shannon ireland and had a beer and i remember everybody passing the fuck out like one beer and you were just done oh, yeah. like but but i think they wanted everybody because we literally left ramadi that day oh, i shit. left ramadi probably got mortared on our way out you know yeah. and then they were like all right we're flying back to fort bragg right now so we need to get these dudes calmed down a little bit so yeah. i was still wearing um you know you have a go home uniform so you got four sets of like back then we were, we wore DCUs in that first appointment and um, that we had four sets of uniforms and you always kept one clean. The the other three you wore interchangeably just as you needed to, but there was always one that you never wore and that one's your going home one. Whether your ass was going home in a box, or whether your ass was going home on your own two feet, that was the uniform that you were going to wear. Shoot. Yeah, so we didn't even have time to change into that uniform when I got home. I still had Iraq dirt on my boots. Yeah. Yeah. Like so I, I took all my shit off before I walked in my house. I'm like, I can't walk. I can't bring this nasty parasites yeah. and nastiness yeah, no of shit. Iraq into my house. So I had to put it all in a trash so bag. So at this point, your wife doesn't, yeah. doesn't know you're coming home. I think that they told them, I think we were in flight. I think we were in the air when they told them that we were coming home. Oh, okay. Because I think that they like, you know, put together like a makeshift real fast welcome home type thing. And we got off the airplane. I, I didn't even know where my beret was, you know, like mm-hmm. we had to, we were, you know, we wore the maroon berets and stuff. So it was like, I was like, I had to dig through all my shit to find my maroon beret. And I was like, Oh man, did I pack that? In my was she at the airport bag? when you landed? Yeah. We landed at Pope air force base. I think we flew to Maine first and we had a stop in Maine. And then we flew from Maine to, uh, back down to Pope air force base, which is right next to Fort Bragg. And they were in the hangar there or, uh, they call it green ramp, which is where we would marsh- marshal for jumping and stuff like that. But they, um, yeah, they met us all there. We marched out of the, the plane and like we hadn't marched in mm. like a year, you know? So it was like trying to get in <laughs> step and trying to look like real soldiers Shit. again. We were all, you know, yeah, half, and, half, yeah, yeah. You know, sustained combat operations, yeah. you know, daily for the last, you know, however many months. But, Fuck. and then, uh, 
yeah, so we yeah that was a that was a surreal situation. It's like to, to all of a sudden walk into I'm, I step foot on U.S. soil, and you're just like I just want to kiss the ground, man. Right. I just want to kiss the ground. And then you you march into the hangar, and I'm looking for my wife, and then all of a sudden I see her, and it's just like what this is crazy, man. Yeah. And so how long were you over there in total that deployment? Um, nine, ten months, something like that. Jesus, yeah. And uh, I remember that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not afraid to share this either. But um, that night that I got home, like you turn in your weapons and shit like that, and uh, you, uh, and they pretty much back then it, there wasn't like a lot of like reintegration stuff, like. Mm-hmm. You know, here's a briefing on like, you know, don't kick your dog when you go home and shit, you know, and like, don't, you know, like, this is how you got to be a human again. And, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of that. So it was like literally turn in our weapons. Um, we got like a briefing type thing. Um, and then after that, it was like, all right, four day weekend. And then we're going to prepare to go on block leave. So everybody back in the office on Tuesday or whatever it was. And, uh. And then we'll prepare everybody to go on leave and do leave forms and all that bullshit and get ready for that. And so I had four days off, like straight from Ramadi and an 18-hour flight home. Jesus. And I'm now in my house. And it's a new house. Like my, my wife. what, 24 hours? Yeah, within 24 here. hours, I went from being in combat operations to being in, in my house. In your house. Yeah. And uh, we had moved into a new, or my wife moved into on-post housing when I was gone. So it was a new house. I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. She had a dog. I didn't never met this damn dog before in my life. That was Ranger. He was a turd. But he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it, so it was very surreal, and and, and everything kind of hit me at once. And it was when I went to take a shower. You know, I peeled off all that nasty Iraq shit and put it all into a garbage bag. And I was like, I'm like, I'm gonna get in the shower. So I went and I got in the shower. I got the shower running and closed the door and stuff like that. And I'm just sitting there, and it like kind of all hit me at once, and I just kind of collapsed. Mm-hmm. I just sat on the floor. Butt naked, sat yeah. down and bawled my eyes out, dude. Yeah. Bawled my eyes out like a baby. Yeah. And, and not that I was sad, not that I was happy. Yeah. It was just, just like, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know yeah. how to think. Like, yeah. where, what the fuck am I doing right now? Your emotions in general, bad. Yeah, not, just not bad, not good. No. Just, just and, and I couldn't control yeah. it, man. And my wife came up and was like, what's wrong with this dude? <laughs> oh my God, this guy I married yeah. is now he's, now he's like this shell shocked warrior. Yeah. And really, um, it only took me a few days to kind of get used to being back. But it took it yeah. took a long time to like kind of get over some of the the you know. It, it, I'd say I was back maybe maybe a month or two, and then once you started like going back to work, right, going back to the normal army day to day stuff, mm-hmm. I was like. Fuck! I want to go back to Iraq. <laughs> I, I want to go the, back. I hate this it's like, it's like that. That shit was simple, you know. That shit was like, all right, we got a mission. You know, we had done it so many times, and, yeah. and you do your rehearsals, and you do your mission planning, and you, and then you kick off the mission, and you execute the mission, and then you come back, and you debrief, and you do all the different things, and you do it like clockwork. Yeah. And once you do that, you know, over the course of a long period of time, it just becomes very easy. And now the day to day shit sucks. Yeah. Right. Like cleaning weapons. Or going, yeah. oh, we're going to go out to a range. And I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, why am I going out to a range? I know I can shoot my weapon. Like, I've done this in combat. Like, why am I, why the yeah. hell do we got to go to a range? Yeah, so it was very surreal, very weird. I went back again 
uh, got promoted again, uh, promoted to staff sergeant, became a squad leader, and then uh, went back again in 0506 for opera- Operation Iraqi Freedom 4 up in the northern Iraq. And that one was less less eventful. Um, it, was, it was definitely less eventful and kind of... Uh, what know, year was that? That was 0506. 0506. Yeah, okay. it was in the fall of 05 into, through the spring of 06. And, um, you know... Any of my buddies that are listening to that, I'll tell you the same thing. That deployment sucked, and it, and it didn't suck because of like of combat operations and things like that. It just sucked because the mission set wasn't because the lack of combat. The the, the, the the mission <laughs> the mission set was not the same as no three or four. So, um, but yeah, uh, it was kind of shortly after that that um, how are we on time? How long have I been talking? Holy shit, man! I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Hour and a half. Yeah, it's a thing. It's we don't, we yeah. don't care. We're not putting a, if, if we're not putting a, if we're going to put a timestamp on any podcast, it's not going to be this one. <laughs> it, we're talking as long as we damn well want on this one. So again, we're, we're no one gives a shit about pike yeah. fishing. We talk three hours about pike yeah. fishing. We're going to spend as much time as we need on this. We're we're talking Memorial Day stuff. So I want to bring up a, a a good buddy of mine who was in my squad. Um, his name is Israel Garcia. And Garcia was a Joe in that first deployment, that 03 deployment. And um, he was a, a soldier, a private, you know, brand new guy. He was brand new to the, one of the new guys to the squad. And uh, Garcia was a – he was just a hard charger. Like he was a he, he's a Mexican guy um, or, you know, um, you know, from California, from Long Beach, California. And uh, just a funny dude, man. Like, just he always has something funny to say. And I, I, there's some specific stories that I could probably tell about him. But I, 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 I won't on this podcast. But um, either way, he was a he was a soldier in our squad, and um, he was one of those kids that we, you know, you have your soldiers that you're like, yeah, he's a soldier, you know, and like mm-hmm. he'll do what he's told and things like that. But you, you don't expect a lot out of him. But Garcia was yeah. different. Garcia was one of those guys that we pushed. And we pushed him because we knew that we he would be great one day, so he'd be an awesome leader. So we 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 um, you know, we always pushed him a little bit farther than the other guys. And uh, it was my second deployment, and uh, I think we were we had been there for a while, a couple months, and a couple you know, three or four months. And um, Garcia was due for uh, at this point he'd been promoted to sergeant, so he was a sergeant, and uh, he was due for reenlistment and. Um, you know, we did a lot of guard and stuff on that one. Um, and, uh, we, I was talking to him one day on guard and, and me and his, his team leader, Jose, we were talking to him and, um, and, or his squad leader at the time. And, uh, we're like, what are you going to do, man? Are you going to get out? And he's like, yeah, I'm thinking I might get out. I might go back to, and we're like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to go back to Cali. And we're like, back to Long Beach? He's like, yeah, I'll go back to Long Beach. That's where his family was and stuff like that. And we're like, what are you going to do when you get to Long Beach? He's like, I don't know. And I think that they were into horses or something like that. And he was going to, I don't know what he was going to do, but he was like very unsure of what he was going to do. And he kind of came from, the way he made it sound was like, he kind of came from a bad neighborhood, came from, you know, some gang stuff mm-hmm. going on and stuff like that. And we're like, dude, like, he was just one of those awesome leaders. He was an awesome soldier. So mm-hmm. you're like, you need to stay in, man. Just stay in. Like, mm. like you're you're killing it, man. You're you you made sergeant in two years. You know, yeah. you know, stay in. And so he went and he talked to the reenlistment NCO, and the reenlistment NCO comes back with some options for him, and he says, "I got, I can go to Italy. I can go here. I can go there." And we're like, "Dude, go to Italy, man!" Because we just heard great things about Italy. 
And uh, so eventually, you know, after being uh, Guzman talked to him for a while, he decides he wants to reenlist. So he reenlists to go to Italy. We return from that deployment, and shortly after that, he PCSs. So permanent change of station goes to goes to Italy. And then it was um, it was shortly after that deployment, I decided that I was going to get out. I decided to get out of the army, and uh, so I get out around 07, and um, it was um, that f- it was right after that he got to Italy and then he deployed. So he deploys to Italy or he deploys um, to Afghanistan from Italy. He was in uh, Second Battalion, Second Battalion, Five Hundred Third uh, Parachute Infantry Regiment, um, with the One Seventy Third Airborne Brigade. And uh, so he deploys over there, and they do a long one. So they do like a 15-month deployment. So it's a year and some change. And it was in the last month of his deployment, um, they were moving. He was in the, in the you know, in the eastern, I, I, can, I don't even know what province that is, in Nuristan or something like that. I don't know what that is, but air. is it the air kicking again? Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, I think he was in the eastern side of Afghanistan near the Korangal Valley. And uh, that's where pretty much his whole battalion was. If you've ever seen the movie Restrepo, Restrepo is the documentary. I think that's um, Battle Company, Battle Company 2nd of the 503rd. And um, he was in Chosen Company. And um, so same battalion, same deployment, same area, um, you know, a couple valleys over. On that last month of that deployment, uh, they stand up a, a small cop in, um, in a place called Whatnot. And uh, Wanak gets hit on, um, I think that was 13 July 2008. Wanak got hit by a couple hundred, I think it was about 200 Taliban, hit Wanak in a surprise attack at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he was killed, uh, reinforcing, they had an observation post or OP that was set out just outside of the the cop. And uh, OP was getting overrun, meaning they were fighting hand-to-hand with the Taliban. Yeah, Jesus. and um, he took a he took a team or a, a squad or a team or a, a few straps um, up to reinforce the OP and was hit uh, by an RPG and killed um, on the OP. But yeah, mm. so and that's in Italy. No, no, that w- no, that was in Afghanistan. He, oh, okay. He, he okay. was stationed thought, in Italy. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, he I was, was stationed for a second. I thought you were talking about Italy. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. But but yeah, and that one hit me hard. So yeah. Gar- Garcia hit me hard because I I, I, I knew him very well personally. Yeah. He he held my daughter shortly oh, after sure. yeah Isabel when she was a baby, you know. Um, yeah. Used to call her Isa, and <laughs> you know just just a super awesome dude. But um, he was awarded the Silver Star for his actions in reinforcing that OP, nice. and and they were coming under they were under he was a uh, I think just over a platoon of those dudes. Um, it might have been the whole company. I think it was just a platoon of them or so, or a couple of platoons, um, but being attacked, you know, and they were in the valley. So there's a lot of stuff that came out about this, and there's some documentaries that you can look at. And I actually, when I went to SLC, the Senior Leaders course, when I was promoted to E7, um, part of that course you have to do a battlefield analysis, and I did a battlefield analysis on the Battle of Wanad, so I read the after-action reports that weighed out specifically how every minute by minute that whole fight went down. And uh, it was some extremely, some of the most heroic shit I ever read mm. um, regarding, you know, some of the stuff that those guys did. Uh, and I want to say that there were nine soldiers killed that that day. 
Um, yeah, just a just a tragic tragic event. But when we yeah. think about when we think about Memorial Day, that's what I think about. I think yeah. about Garcia. Yeah. Um, another guy I'll talk about here real quick before I kind of wrap up this military stuff. Um, another guy, he was a squad leader of mine when I was a um, uh, when I was just a a Joe at uh, at Fort Hood in, in the First Cavalry Division. Um, you know, this guy's name was Nathan Winder. Uh, at the time, he was a staff sergeant. And uh, he actually, I was a Bradley driver, and he was my Bradley uh, commander. So BC, he was in charge of the Bradley. And uh, that dude, I probably learned more leadership shit from that dude than anybody else in the military. Um, because... You know, you know, some of the sayings I have come from him. Mm. Stuffing goldfish up your ass, that comes from him. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah, what are you doing over there? Stuffing goldfish up your ass? I say this shit all the time. And, like, <laughs> that that came from Nathan Winder. Yeah. And um, he was a um, – he was adopted from Korea um, to American parents and raised – born and raised here in the U.S. But born, or born in Korea but raised here in the U.S. Joined the military – and um, he went to Special Forces Assessment and Selection as, like, a, I think he was, like, a sergeant and didn't make it for some reason. And then came to us at the 1st Cavalry Division, became my squad leader. Now, dude, this dude, I at the time, he used to piss me off because he I was the only – we were the only squad that used to have to take tests. He would make us study the FM7-A, which is the infantry platoon squad. It's our Bible. He would make us study this shit, and then we would he would give us a test on each chapter, like, week by week. And I was, we were the only ones doing it. I was like, this is bullshit, man. Why do I have to take tests? Like, I didn't join the military to take tests. But I learned so much from that guy. Yeah. And he reinforced doctrine to me, like, very hard. And then how to implement doctrine. And um, he was just a hard charger. And, like, I'm telling you, like, you wouldn't want to mess with this dude. He was just a, a brick. Brick shit house, man. He was just a <laughs> solid dude. And um, so uh, I go to the 82nd. I, I PCS to the 82nd. And then shortly after that, he goes back to SFAS. He gets selected this time. Gets selected. Um, gets selected as an 18 Delta, which is a medic. It's one of the harder uh, MOSs to get into in, the, in Special Forces as a Green Beret. Um, so the pipeline for that is about 24 months. It's about a two-year pipeline of training. Afterwards, he recycled one. I remember I ran into him at Fort Bragg uh, before I deployed, and uh, he had a, he had to recycle one of the phases of his training. So it extended his training by a little bit longer. So he was there like two and some change, doing Special Forces medic training. Um, immediately gets assigned to First Special Forces Group. Out, uh, I want to say that he went out to um, out to Lewis McCord out in Washington, and then shortly after that, deployed to Iraq. Um, and that was in 07, and he was killed in Diwanee, Iraq. He was um, responded as QRF. Um, he was a, a part of a QRF team, responded to some MPs in contact, and an MP had taken a round. And um, he was actually working on the guy when he was shot and killed. Mm. So he, he was killed by small, small arms fire. But, that yeah, that was, on, um, that was June 26th of 2007. But that one hit me hard pretty, too, or mm. it hit me hard. Um, pretty good too. So, um, yeah. So when we're talking about Memorial Day, these are the kind of things. This is yeah. this is how it brings. This is uh, my version of it. Yeah. All this right. Is, this, this is, is uh, these. Are, you have the faces to to go with it, and but I mean, this is what everybody should be remembering. I mean, even if you don't know somebody that 
that died in combat. Like, just think about everybody that did, you know? I mean, all these movies that you see, they're all based on real stories, right? Like, Essentially, yeah. I mean, most of them, like American Sniper, uh, what is it? Uh, one with Mark Wahlberg, Lonely Soldier. Uh, um, oh, the uh, Lone Survivor? Lone Survivor. Yeah. What the fuck am I talking about? God. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, those are all based yeah. on stories that happened and, yep. and real faces that that you know most in most of those stories people died within those movies you know like um but i mean do some research on this stuff like you can find I mean, the list is is endless of, of people that have died in their stories or heroic stories like you just told of it's endless man <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is that everyone yeah i mean you watch saving private ryan or something like that and the, yeah. as they're storming the beaches there's soldiers falling everywhere each one yeah. of those had their own story right mm-hmm. and each one of them had their own life all four hundred and five thousand. yeah <laughs> in, yeah, that, they, in those documentaries or in those yeah they all had a know. story they all came from a little town somewhere around you know the u.s and you know gave their life and uh gave their life in support of the american way of life right um you know, and that's pretty much, yeah. So that's a little bit of a snapshot of, of my story. I, I'm not going to keep going and uh, all the other <laughs> things I've done in the military. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that was kind of the beginning. That's, that's that was that was phase one. Phase one. Phase of one of this long ass career that seems never ending, and I can't wait till I retire. So <laughs> soon, right? Soon. Soon. Well, a few years. There's light at the end of the tunnel. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I mean, those are, I know those are just a fraction and very uh, brief overviews of your time. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I got stories for days. Yeah. You, you, know, and, you just talked nine months in a matter of 30 minutes. And, <laughs> and here's the thing about a lot of veterans, too, is that a lot of people think that they're, you know, they, a lot of veterans don't mind talking about some of this stuff. They don't mind talking about, you know, some of the different things that they've experienced or different places they've been and, and it's it, we're not a, we're not all like you know some people don't want to talk about it all and that's that's cool that's that's totally yeah. your prerogative and things like that I find that it helps mm-hmm. you know it helps to be able to discuss some of these things and and to be able to you know shed light on Garcia Winder right. Lumber you know some of these different you know losses that we experience yep. in life. What I really feel for on on like this holiday are the families of Garcia and and Bloomberg and you know. Shit like that. Like, yeah. what are, you know, did they have kids? Did they have a wife? Did they have brothers and sisters? It was coming from my perspective, like, if you were on that list, like, what would I be feeling right now on this holiday? You know, so I just think about what are they thinking? What are they feeling right now on this holiday when it's all dedicated to the, you know, the ones that died overseas and, and they've got someone, they've got someone that's close to them and near and dear to them. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's a whole other side of it that just, you know, heartbreaking and that's that's more reason that we need more than just a day to remember him but at least you know we we have this day and just remember what it's about exactly yeah right on well good stuff so um you know this is really an intro uh of a future podcast we're going to have around the military i think it's in kind of an I don't want to say untapped because there's a million podcasts about military, but I think we've got enough people we know that, or you know that, you know, we can have some good stories about there. And as more holidays come up and just, just throughout the year, I think we've got some good ideas coming up for, 
doing some military stuff. Yeah, for sure. I've got some. I've got some good. Uh, I've got some some buddies that can tell some stories, man. Yeah. Like I've, you know, and it's it's not all it's not all war, man. Yeah. That's not the that's not what the military does all the time. Yeah. But uh, you know, I've, I've got some. I've got some fun. I got more stories about not combat stuff than I do. Right. Shit, I was a I was a drill sergeant for a long time. I could shit, I could tell you stories all day <laughs> about dumbass Joes, but um, yeah. yeah, it's 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 a cool thing, and and, and uh, you know, not just the fact that I'm in the military, but we're very we've always been a very pro military family. So yeah, um, you know, we definitely like to be involved in in different things that the military, you know, our military veterans and stuff like that. So yeah, we. I mean, we can't support it enough. Like I've been posting quite a bit on social media about military. Just, just it's an awareness thing for me. Like I don't know if I don't. I just see these people posting like all over social media. Like especially the, the shit about Ukraine really pissing me off. And they're like, "Oh, bring on World War Three." You know what, motherfuckers? You don't want World War Three. No, you don't. You know, and I don't even have firsthand experience to to understand it. But just you don't. We don't want that. We don't want, you know, American troops on the ground in Ukraine fighting. We want that shit to not... We don't want any war, well, you know? It's, it's, if it needs to happen, it needs to happen. But, like, nobody wants that. Like, we don't want another another list of thousands of soldiers that didn't make it home. No. It's, it's not just that, but it's the, you know... When it comes to the Ukraine and the Russia thing, like, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of misinformation, you know, you know, be, depending on where you're getting your information, it's likely that it's not as accurate as it, you know, yeah. what's really going on. Um, and not only that, but there's a lot of misconceptions when it comes to what is going on. Right. I, I mean, I talk to people all the time that think that we're at war with Russia. And it's like, <laughs> you really need to get a little bit more involved in geopolitics yeah. and, and figuring out what's going on. Cause we are not at war with Russia. So, yeah. and, and, and I mean, just over the course of the last few years, the world kind of seems like it's on fire. You know, it seems like the U S <laughs> is imploding and all these other things and all these negative things that you hear mm-hmm. through the media all the time. And like people talking about, you know, the civil unrest stuff and like, you know, that there's going to be a civil war in this country and stuff like that. And it's like, and, and some people are like agging it on, like, yeah, we, we need yeah. a civil war and shit like that. And it's like, dude, you, you don't want war period. Right. Like right. It, it's people that have no idea what the mm-hmm. hell war is right. are, are, are speaking about it as if they do. Exactly. And, um, that's a shit that pisses me off. Yeah. It's that's, like, just, that's just unsettling. Shut, just yeah. shut up. Shut like, your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> just, I just kind of, I just kind of shake my head. Yeah. And That's all my, you can do. You know, roll my eyes and shake my head and like, oh man, here we go. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that was good. That was a lot of fun. Um, you know, hearing those stories and you know, hearing about those guys that you know that that um, unfortunately didn't didn't make it home. And, yep. But you know, all the respect to them and, and their families as they get through this this weekend. And yeah, yeah, they're all uh, they're all heroes in in my eyes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think anybody um, who served is is a hero, you know. But if they paid the ultimate sacrifice, then they're obviously even more of a hero. They're, they gave everything for us to be able to do shit like this, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's essentially what it is. And a lot of people think that, like, well, this person went to war. And why did, you know, what did they die for and things like that? You know, like, what was the yeah. reason behind that? Yep. And uh, every one of us that joined the military fully understand 
the implications of that, right? We fully yeah. understand, um, you know, and we're and are willing to give our life in defense of this country or in defense of the American way of life, right? I say the American yeah. way of life a lot, yeah. all right, because it's and not a lot of people understand that is that the America is its own thing. Like yeah. if, unless you if you've ever been anywhere yeah. else, you understand that, yeah. right? If you've ever been to Iraq, Afghanistan. Bosnia, mm-hmm. any of the Eastern Bloc countries, mm-hmm. right? If you've ever been over to even Europe, mm-hmm. even Great Britain, right? Or, mm-hmm. or England, right? If you've ever been to any of these places, you understand that the American way of life is very much its own style of life. And I think that most of us are very comfortable in it. Yeah. We're very comfortable in it and we like it, right? But that has to be preserved because there's a lot of people that don't like that. There's yep. a lot of people that don't like what we have. Yep. And uh, and are willing to take it away from us at a moment's notice. So, yeah. anybody who stands up in the uniform and, and defends that right, you know, if you do deploy, you do get sent into combat operations. We do so fully knowing the hazards yep. that come with that, yep. right? Which is it could ultimately mean the end of your life, right? Yep. And for some, it did. And uh, you know, we all understand that, and we don't we don't need anybody's pity. We don't need anybody's, um, you know, we don't want anybody fighting for us politically mm-hmm. or saying that this is wrong or this is right. We fully understand what it is when yeah. before we even get into it. Yeah. None of us joined. None of us joined to say, I don't want to defend my country. Like, it's kind of an oxymoron when it comes to yeah. military service. Like, we That's... all get it. Even if you're in the Navy, you yeah. get it. Yeah. I say the Navy. I'm not picking on the Navy, but the Navy's, in yeah. the, you know. Hey, they, they have their purpose. The, 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 that oh. seems more dangerous to me than anything else, right? <laughs> You're the, the, bobbing around the ocean on this giant boat. Yeah, like, I if that thing goes down, that. If the, yeah, if that thing goes down, <laughs> man, you're all going down. Like, I have mad respect for yeah. anybody who wears a uniform. Yeah. No matter yep. what branch of service you serve in or how long you did or how you do it. Yep. I got, I got mad respect for it because you said, I will send me, right? Yep. So... Yep. This will defend. This will defend. Hmm. Oh, man. Well, this, uh, like I said, this was good. I'm really glad we put this together on the Memorial Day weekend. The timing was perfect. We'll get this posted tonight. Uh, that's my plan, at least. I'll get this posted right away. So if you're listening to this, uh, please give it a share. Spread this around. Uh, this one more than any of our other podcasts. I give a shit if you post the other ones. I could be cool. But this one... If you're listening to this, take the time, right? As soon as you we wrap this up, give it a share on your social media, give it a send it to somebody you know and just so they can, you know, maybe gain some knowledge from from uh, the holiday so they know what we're celebrating. Um they can hear the stories that Bob just told of the, you know, the the soldiers that he was side by side with that died um and didn't make it home. So let's let's spread that story around and um yeah, that's all. That's all I've got, Bob. What What do you have? Uh, as you, as this is your podcast, what do you have to wrap it up? I just I have one last thing to say, and I just want to say for all those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for this great nation, we salute you.